have different skills and abilities and um, um, giftings that uh, we need to learn about and discover, and we need to connect with each other and quit being so divided. Uh, we are not in competition with any other church or any other ministry. We are them, and they are us. And um, when I got some stuff in the mail from these guys and, and just realized that uh, uh, they were had many Christian counselors on staff. I wanted to make you aware of that. And also some of these classes that are coming up uh, for women. It's going to be awesome girls. So we'll be getting more information to you about that. And uh, there's not been a date set for those classes yet. There's, we're still in that sign-up process. And so we'll be letting you know about that. Okay? Let me just mention a couple things before we get into the Word today. Mission celebration. Two weeks from today. Two weeks from today. Isn't that amazing? So what we want you to do is we want you to begin to pray, and we trust that you already have started praying about what you will give and your family will give to missions over the next year. Now keep in mind that it's a faith pledge. It is a faith pledge where you say, God, I want to give to missions, and I know you want me to give to missions. And so God, even though we're hearing all this negative economic stuff on TV, I know that you want missions to thrive and you want missions to move forward. And God, I want to be a part of that. So I'm not going to write the number down that I know I can do. I'm going to write down a faith pledge. I'm going to write down a pledge that I know it's going to take an act of God, a work of God in my life in a miraculous way for, for me to be able to give this. But God, I put that faith pledge down. Now, when you put down a faith pledge, Nobody's going to call you or, or, or um, harass you if you don't meet that pledge. We're just asking you to do this between you and God. And I am sending out an email to all our staff here at Whitley Church, our, our church board, and also our ministry directors. Guys, you need to go ahead and make your pledges immediately and get those in to Mr. Ricky Lancaster, and we will send you in that email how to do that. We'll send you Ricky's email, and you can send him the pledge, because what we want to do is, as leaders, we want to present our pledge first to show our church and show those who are in our uh, body of Christ here at Whitley and, and at the bridge that we are leading the way. Now, this coming Friday is the movie, The End of the Sphere. It'll be just like it was that night. We did the fireproof movie, Popcorn Lemonade, and, and we'll just have a great time. It's a great movie, very exciting, uh, suspense-filled, uh, true story. And so that's uh, this coming Friday. Then the next Friday out in the uh, impact building, in the large room in the impact building, we'll have a meet and greet with our missionaries. And this is a chance for you to actually meet the people who represent uh, Whitley Church in foreign lands and for you to be able to talk to them and, and see what your money is going for, see what your giving is accomplishing. There'll be uh, free finger foods and some prayer rooms will be available for you to pray for the missionaries. You can take advantage of all of that you want to take advantage of, or, or you can just come and meet the missionaries and be on your way, whatever you want to do. But uh, you have an insert in your worship program that tells you all about it. And then again, two weeks from today, we'll have a very, very special service. Some missionaries will be here. It'll be a great worshipful time, and you will come to the front and bring your pledge and drop it in the vase that we have up at the front. You all know who have been here before how we do that. Now, let me just mention one other thing, and this is a very unusual time of the year, and I don't usually do this before I'm preaching, but 
I want to tell you all that the cross and the crown is less than two months away. In about a month and a half, we're going to present the cross and the crown four times this year. Four times. We've added a presentation, and that will be on Thursday night. So on Thursday night, when we usually have our dress rehearsal, that will actually be a presentation that night. We believe God is going to send many people to see uh, this dramatization of the last days of Christ. And so we hope that you will, or last days of Christ on earth, uh, you will... Um, uh, be encouraged. You'll be blessed. We've put some tools in your in your worship program. There's a little poster in there of the cross and the crown. I, I think there might be some information on the back of that poster, so read it very carefully. But then hand that out. Give that to someone. Use this as an invitation to someone. Take this and just hand it to someone as an invitation and say, listen, we want you to come to that. Or take this and take it down to the country store, down the road from your house, or, or to the post office, or wherever they have a bulletin board at the grocery store, and just pin it up on the bulletin board, and let's get the word out. And we're going to make a whole bunch of these and make them available to you so you can start distributing them. We're going to make some larger ones for you to distribute and get the word out. We're going to buy advertising, but the best advertising for the cross and the crown is you talking about it talking to people about it. Now, last year, over 50 people gave their heart to Christ. And so um, we, we have created this event for the reason of reaching the unchurched. And keep in mind that the unchurched will come to something like this. They may not come with you on a Sunday morning, but they will come to something like this. So invite, 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 invite. Let's bring everybody we can, and um, let's see what God is going to do. And the people said... There's also a little sign-up card in there if you want to volunteer to uh, be involved with the cross and the crown. Uh, we would love to have your assistance in bringing this presentation to our community. All right, let's uh, get our sermon notes out. They're also in your worship program there. The worship program looks a little bit like a baby catalog today, don't it? I mean, it's got a lot of stuff in it, so make sure you read it all. But uh, pull out that uh, sermon insert. It's got the little I Do logo up at the top right. And uh, I've got actually the wrong title. Um, I left last week's title on, so mark out I don't. Mark that out. And right above it, write I do, I do, I do. Okay? Because that's what we're going to talk about today. In this series of messages, we have simply titled it I do. And what does that mean? What does I do mean when we say that? What does it actually uh, mean? The first message we talked about, I do, I think. I do, I'm not sure. I don't know if I want to say I do. So we talked to the singles. We talked to the singles, those who are not yet married or maybe those who have gone through a divorce and uh, they're, they're, uh, they're probably uh, very gun-shy about moving forward and finding someone and they don't know exactly what to do or what the Bible says. So we just really went through the Word of God as to what it says about how to marry the right person, how to marry the right person. And so I encourage you to, to uh, tell your friends who are maybe um, uh, in that dating scene or your kids or whatever to make sure they hear that message, not because Pastor Farrell is the preacher, but because it is just filled with the Word of God. Listen, listen, the Bible is filled with information on marrying the right person, how to pick the right person. And so let's look at that, and, and we hope you'll study that and, and become very familiar with it. 
Now, the next three messages in the series, there are four messages in the series, but the last three messages are based on the parable of the wise builder and the foolish builder. So let's go to the book of Matthew this morning, chapter 7, verse 24, and let's just read what Jesus said in this parable. And again, this is Jesus talking here, okay? Therefore, Jesus said, whoever hears these sayings of mine, and sayings of Jesus are the word of God, so whoever hears these sayings of mine, and what? Does them. Very good. Hey, that was loud for an early service crowd. That's awesome. So whoever hears these things of mine and does them, I call him a wise person, Jesus said. How about that? How, how cool is it that Jesus would look at you and go, you are wise. I mean, you know, if you say I'm wise, then that's a good compliment, and I receive that. Thank you very much, boy. But when Jesus says you're wise, that is a huge compliment, isn't it? Because you know what? Sometimes people flatter us, but Jesus would never flatter because that's not honesty and integrity. And so Jesus, when he says you're wise, he means it. And he says in this passage that for a person to be wise, they must do two things. Hear the word of the Lord and do the word of the Lord. Hear and do and hear and do and hear and do. Okay? So therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them... I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Then Jesus says, but, anytime Jesus uses a word like that, we need to perk up our ears because he's about to flip it on us. He's, he's about to say, I looked at it from that side, now let's flip it and see what it looks like on the other side. He says, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine or hears my word and does not do them will be like a foolish man. Now, when he says you're a foolish man, he meant that too. But, but we're going to focus in on being a wise man and a wise woman today. But he says, if you hear my word and you don't do it, you are like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Now, when Jesus says something, it is, nev it is never some off-the-cuff thing that has no real meaning. Now, you all know when I preach, um, I chase rabbits from time to time. My staff gets on me all the time. Now, you who are not from the South, you probably don't know what that means. But it means I just don't stick to the subject sometimes. And sometimes when, I, when I'm telling you um, about what the Scripture says, I think of a funny story. Or I, and I just run down that road, don't I? <laughs> Amen. And say, it's all right. And Because uh, I'm not Jesus. But um, Jesus, when Jesus said something, it had... It had significant meaning every time. Jesus didn't waste words. So when Jesus said that these two houses that were built were, were experiencing the same environment, rain and floods and wind, it is not insignificant that he mentioned rain and floods and wind. 
When Jesus mentions three things, we need to look closely at those three things because most of the time what we would do is we would read this parable and we go, okay, it rained and the flood came and wind blew and blah, 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 just move on. But there's meaning in the fact that it rained and the fact that there was a flood and the fact that there was wind blowing. There's meaning there. And so we want to kind of look at that. And when you do a word study on rain, flood, and wind, you find that the rain was violent monsoon rains. And then when you look at the words flood, or the word flood, it means engulfing waters. Just, I mean, we know what a flood is around here, as I've mentioned before. And then the wind was not just any wind, but it was strong, gale force, hurricane force winds. Now, there are some basic observations, and we've made them every time, but let's make them one more time today. Basic observations from this parable, there are two homes, one's on the rock and one is on the sand. There are two separate builders, one is wise and one is foolish. Both builders, the homes they built, experienced the same circumstances, which was violent storms. Yet there was very different results. One of the houses stood and one of the houses fell. So we have to ask ourselves as it relates to marriage because this parable could actually be used to teach on many topics, but we're using it to teach on marriage today. And so we ask ourselves, why is it that there are homes that experience some of the same circumstances, but one of those homes stands and the other home fails? One of the homes stands, but one of the homes falls. Why is that? Why does that happen? Jesus says, it's all in the foundation. Whether it stands or whether it falls, it's based on the foundation of that home. What is that home built upon? The foundation is as important in building a marriage as it is in building a home. And so we, we said that um, a subtitle for our sermon series could be How to Stormproof Your Marriage. So let's do just a little quick review and then we'll get into today's message. Two weeks ago, we called the message, I Do, Now What? In other words, I'm married, and, and we've gotten back home from the honeymoon, and she's going to her job every morning, and I'm going to my job every morning, and the bills are coming in, and all of a sudden, the stress is there, and the routine is there, and, and the excitement of getting ready for the wedding, that's over, and the excitement of the honeymoon, all that stuff, that's over with, and now we're just settling into a routine life. So, Pastor, how do I keep my marriage vibrant? How do I keep my marriage healthy? And we talked about these three elements of the weather, and we said that one of the things you're going to have to do to keep your marriage together is not just look at the internal problems that can arise in a marriage, like selfishness or financial problems or whatever, but we need to look at external things that can come against our home. And the first thing we talked about was the rain of the culture we live in, secular, humanistic, liberal, and I'm not talking politically liberal, I'm talking theologically liberal um, environment that we live in. And this culture is like rain. Now, now what a, there's just not a better day to illustrate rain than yesterday and today. Now, boys and girls, it has rained yesterday and today. Thank you, Jesus. I would prefer Jesus not do it on the weekend, but that's none of my business. 
I'm just glad to be able to move that little handle on my sink and water comes out of the, I mean, you know. But, um, I mean, you know, I, I just thought about yesterday we were standing at the door of the bridge and we were looking out into the parking lot at the Barnyard Shopping Center and uh, where the bridge is, and we were just looking out there about 5 o'clock, and I mean, it was just a steady, it wasn't a, like a downpour, or, but it was just steady, steady rain, and I thought, man, you know, I'm sure that Noah, um, about that fourth or fifth day, was like, sure enough, this boat, I think this is going to float, and I kind of, I was kind of looking at that and thinking what he thought, but but I want you to think about rain. Rain falls on everything and everybody. You cannot avoid it, and that's the way the culture is. You cannot avoid the culture. I mean, you can get in your house and lock the door and, and, and not have a TV or never read anything other than the Bible, but you can't live that way. You have to get out there. Matter of fact, Jesus wants you to get out there. Jesus was a social person. He wants you to be a social person. Uh, he didn't call us to isolate ourselves as Christians. I know churches that kind of isolate themselves. They got this little holy huddle thing, and uh, they don't want to be touched by the world, you know, and they don't want the world. You can't avoid it. And, and, that, and again, Jesus didn't want that anyway. Jesus wants us out there infiltrating our community uh, 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 as salt and light in, in the world. So we're supposed to be out there. But what we've got to understand is that this rain is very, very powerful. And you all know that any crack in a roof, that rain's going to get in the house, isn't it? And it's going to cause damage. We looked at some things in our culture, and um, we talked about the pressure of alternative lifestyles that is being uh, forced upon us. Uh, we looked at uh, sexual immorality and materialism and radical feminism, and we, we looked at those things and and we talked about how there's just tremendous pressure out there for us to conform to the new way the world sees things and the way the world says this is right and this is wrong. And when you look at what the world is saying and what the secular um, culture is saying, it, it, it is really in 99% in of the cases um, anti what God is saying. It's against what the Word of God says. And that culture is falling on you all the time. So as a dad and a mom and as a husband and a wife, you've got to be aware of the secular culture that is just bombarding you and bombarding your children. And I'm telling you right now, it is trying to get in your house. Now, if somebody tried to break in your house and hurt your family, they would have to hurt you, wouldn't they, sir? I mean, they'd have to hurt you to, to hurt them. But we, we're, not as, we're not as defensive toward our family as it relates to culture. And I'm going to tell you something. Culture can be more eternally damaging to your family than if somebody broke in your house and literally took your family's life. I'm talking about eternally. So just be aware of this culture. And I know I preached on that, and I know this is the second or third time I've gone through that, but it needs to get nailed down. You, listen, you linked with God and your church and your Christian family and your Christian friends you are to stand in defense of your house. So we not only have the reign of culture, but then we talked about the floods of crisis. And we said that we need to be prepared for the culture we live in, but we also need to be prepared for the crisis we live through. And there are going to be crises in our marriage. There's going to be unexpected crises that are going to come. 
a bankruptcy, an accident, a rebellious child, a prolonged illness, a death, the loss of a job, the failure of a business. Um, um, we're, we're seeing all fertile ground for some of that right now uh, in the financial world. And so you have to understand that some stuff you didn't expect to happen is going to happen in your marriage. And the big question is, how are you going to handle it when all of a sudden your life and your marriage, I mean, you got this perfect little house, you know, Barbie and Ken, and you got this perfect little house, and all of a sudden your life is flipped upside down by cancer. Or your life is flipped upside down by um, an injury or an accident or or. Or, uh, again, a rebellious child that, that just kind of goes his or her own way and just causes all kinds of pressure on that home. How, how are you going to handle that? Now, notice a, a key word in what I'm teaching you is the word prepared. I'm not telling you if the culture tries to get in your house. The culture tries to get in your house. You've got to be prepared. I'm not saying if a crisis comes. I'm telling you a crisis is coming. At one level or another, a crisis is coming to your marriage, and the question is, are you prepared? And your preparation is really rooted in your personal relationship with God. So the real question is, where are you with God? Because, see, you can't get ready after the crisis hits. You've got to be ready before the crisis hits. You say, well, what do I do when I've got a problem I can't solve and I don't know what to do about it? Well, Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2 last week, and we're not going to look at that again today. But, man, I'm telling you, you need to, to get that scripture. i tell you what I'd do if I were you. I'd either type it out on my computer in big letters or I'd write it out in big letters, and I would keep that verse where I could get my hands on it because, man, it is a promise to the nation of Israel, but I believe one to us as well. And he says in there, three things I saw in Isaiah 43, 1 and 2 was relax in my plan, recognize my presence, and rely on my protection. So you got to, see, listen, sometimes you feel victorious, don't you? I mean, sometimes I just feel victorious, but sometimes I don't feel victorious. That's why we can't go by how we because the victory is not in us. It is in what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross of Calvary, was buried in a grave, and rose from the dead. The enemy's not going to be defeated. He already is. And we don't even fight for victory. You know what? We fight from victory. Victory's already won. And so we go back to these scriptures when our emotions are low and we don't feel powerful we don't feel strong we go back to what god said we go back to what god said and i gotta tell you something i like it when i feel it don't you i like it when i feel it but sometimes i don't feel it and so i go back to scriptures like isaiah 43 1 and 2 and i put my name in that verse that's okay put your name in there pharaoh i'm gonna look after you when the floods come and the fires come and the and the rains come uh, you won't get burned and you won't get drowned and i'll walk with you and after i read that i'm feeling a little bit better and then you can go over to another verse that says uh, over there in the book of Romans where it says uh, you, nothing can escape the love of God. And, and it talks about how uh, we're more than conquerors and we're overcomers in this world. And it doesn't matter how you feel or where your emotional level is, the word of God's always true. And what can be shaken in this world is going to be shaken. And what can fall apart, listen, it 
not might will fall. It is going to fall apart. What can fall apart is going to fall apart. But then the Bible tells us in Hebrews, but the word of God will stand. So again, it is the foundation. So we got to be prepared for the culture. Liberal, humanistic, materialistic, self-loving culture. And then we got to be prepared for the crisis that will come. And now thirdly, in the time that is left. We will talk about being prepared for the changes that are coming. You've got to live with some changes. <clears throat> Rains of culture, floods of adversity, winds of change. Winds of change. So we look at this word wind and we say, well, what does it really mean? And you go back and you do a word study and it's real easy to do a word study. That's why I can do a word study because it's real easy. But when I studied this, it was the kind of winds that are constantly changing. When Jesus talked about the wind in this parable, he was talking about wind that is coming from one direction one minute, and then all of a sudden it's coming from another direction, totally unexpected. Isn't that how life works? Isn't that how it is in your marriage? The fact is, your marriage, my marriage, is always changing like the wind. Marriage is a dynamic. It is not a static. Marriage is moving. Marriage is changing. Listen, listen. Marriage is getting better or it's getting worse. Marriage is improving or it's deteriorating. Marriage is decaying or it is growing. It is never on a plateau. I just hear some redneck guy go, you know, for about the last 10 years, I think we've been on a little plateau in our marriage. Let me tell you something. You don't plateau in a marriage. You're either going up or down. Kind of like that time I jumped on top of the house to put an antenna on my roof. <clears throat> and I thought I was had it all together. I was 20-something years old. There wasn't anything I couldn't do. But I did find out that the pitch of, of that roof was so steep that the tennis shoes I had on, that's what we called them back then, um, could not hold me up there. And I knew, I mean, if I just stopped and didn't do anything, I was still sliding. That is not a good feeling on the top of a two-story house. It's not a good feeling on top of a one-story house. It's not a good feeling. So I found out if I scratch and claw and scratch and claw and scratch and claw, I made a little bit of progress. I wish that had been on video. I do. I would love to have shown that as an illustration today. It would have been hilarious to y'all. But I made it back to the, to the, what's that point called? That. And got my hands over it, and I let go of that baby again because I found out I was either going back or moving forward. I could not stand still. And that's how a marriage is. And not only is that how a marriage is, that's how your walk with God is. You can't in this life call time out with God and go, look, I'm just not going to grow any, and I'm also not going to go back any. I just tell you, God, I'm going to crawl up on this ledge here and just take a break. That ledge is leaning like that, and you're going to slide off that ledge. You are always either moving forward or moving backwards. It is so true in your marriage. No marriage stands still. You're either growing together or you're growing apart. One of the keys to a successful marriage is that the two of you must grow together. Now, I know some of you wives have been trying to get that stubborn rascal to grow with you. And he's like, you know, I like things like they are. Well, sir, things don't stay like they are. You might like things like they are, but that's the point I was just making. They don't stay that way. 
it, you, you say, well, it's like saying, I'm not going to get out there and work on that garden. And I've used this as an illustration many times. I'm just going to go out there and get fruit from it anytime I want it, but I'm not going to work on the garden. Well, it's going to stop producing fruit after a while. It's going to stop producing vegetables. If you want a garden that produces vegetables, whether it's a flower garden that you want it to produce beauty or a, or a food garden that you want it to produce food, you've got to work on it every single day. Uh, a, a marriage is not a diamond to be looked at and admired. A marriage is a garden to be worked on. And some men are sending their wife out to do all the work on the marriage, and they're not doing anything. And guys, I'm calling on you today because God calls on you in the Word that you got to get in there and work on this thing too. One of the most common complaints I hear in counseling is, we just outgrew each other. Do you all hear that one? We just outgrew each other, and we just grew in different directions. Well, here's what I want to say to you, is that that is never God's will. For you to outgrow each other or to grow in different directions. So if you outgrew each other or you grew in different directions, somebody's disobeying God. See, we like to, listen, listen, we listen to the culture so much say stuff like that. We think, oh, okay, well, that just happens. No, it doesn't. It only happens in the atmosphere of neglect. That's when it happens. So growing apart because of change, can be avoided, and God wants it to be avoided. You're going to change, my friend. You know, some woman goes, he is just not the man I married. And, and, and he says, and she ain't the woman I married either. And you know what? You're right. You're exactly right, because none of us are the same. We all change. We, we develop. We we um, we. Um, go through evolution, not in the sense of scientific, but we evolve into different kinds of people as we grow and, 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 and become more knowledgeable. Or, or we become a different person because we neglect growth and we neglect ourselves and we neglect becoming a better person. So it's change in either direction, but change is inevitable. Here's the key again. Change is coming. You've got to be prepared for it. You have to grow and learn with your mate. The winds of change can blow many couples apart if they're not prepared. There are a lot of books out today with titles like The Passages of Life or The Seasons of Life. And, and those books are good to read. There's some very good ones out there to read. I did a series, I think about two or three years ago, called The Seasons of Life. I don't know if you all remember that series. I'm sure you do in all the points on scripture references, and I thank you for that. But I've got that series is available to you on the seasons of life that we go through. Here are some of them, and I may have addressed some of these in that series or not. I don't want to. I don't want you to misunderstand me. But, but emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, physically, and other ways we go through these these um, changes. Uh, your, the empty nest change. You know the empty nest uh, thing that we go through. You know, all of a sudden, both my boys were gone. They had both been in the house. Our lives centered around them, getting where, getting them where they needed to be, keeping them out of trouble, slapping them around and stuff. And then all of a sudden, they're gone, and it's me and Millie sitting there staring at each other, and I just felt like walking over there going, Hi, I'm Farrell Hardison. Who are you? <laughs> you ever felt like that when the kids left? But I got to tell you, when my kids left, I was like that couple in that commercial. I was measuring for a hot tub, man. I was... There wasn't no tears coming from me. And now my boys have thrown us a curve and they're back. 
<laughs> that boomerang. And, um, but that's all right because they're both about to leave again. I'm getting to know Millie again. How are you going to handle those changes? How are you handle it? Well, there's some more things I could say, but let's look at four things you could do very quick, and I'll go through these quickly. My time's already gone. You can reject change. You can reject it. Look down at the bottom of your paper. You can reject change. You can say, I won't accept it. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to get any older. I'm not going to change physically. I'm I'm going to the gym. I'm going to get surgery. I'm going to do whatever I've got to do. I'm not going to change. I'm going to be the same person I was 20 years ago. No, you're not. You're going to be poorer. But I'm telling you, you get nipped and tucked all you want to, and your ear's going to end up on the back of your head, and you're going to look freakier than ever. And I'm not, I mean, if you want to have that surgery and you can afford it, that's fine. But I'm just telling you something. You can, when you do that, it's temporary. And there's some people who've had that surgery. And when I saw them, I was like, you know, that's how I felt. So you reject, you reject change, and you, and really it's a, it's a form of denial. I just deny this is happening to me. I won't accept it. I won't receive it. And we say ridiculous things like, I'm not going to change, and, and I'll always be the same. That's ridiculous. So then we realize we can't reject it, so then we try to resist it. And that goes in some of the other things that I was just talking about. You know, we joined the gym, and God knows I ought to be in a gym. If anybody ought to be in a gym, I ought to be in a gym. The T-shirt I got on right now is going, help me, Jesus. My T-shirt right now is saying, help me, Jesus. So I need to be in a gym. I know that. You don't have to tell me that. And you can pretend you're not having physical challenges, and you can pretend you've run just as fast as you did when you were 18, and you can pretend that your mate is the same that they were 20 years ago, and you can, you can resist getting older and resist losing your hair, and, and you can have the same energy, you can, you can pretend you got the same energy level, but you don't. Just come on, man. You stop. And I'm not saying don't do your best and don't take vitamins and don't work out and don't do all that stuff. That, that's all fine, but you still are going to change. You're still going to change. And when a mate is not willing to accept the change that's inevitable, trouble begins in a marriage. Trouble begins in a marriage. And then you can resent change. You can get mad about it. Kind of like you go from, uh, you know, just saying it doesn't exist to saying I'm fighting against it to finally you know it's winning, and so you just get mad at it, and you get bitter. You say things like, she's just not the girl I married, and and he's just not the same guy I married, and I've been been cheated, and now I'm trapped in this. These are things I've heard in counseling sessions. I'm in a hopeless situation. I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask for him or her to look like that, or I didn't ask for him or her to get sick. I didn't know they were going to get sick. I didn't ask for that when I got married. I didn't know they were not going to be able to work. I didn't know, I, I mean, she's got an education. She was making an extra forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year. All of a sudden, she's sick, can't die. I didn't know that was going to happen. Well, hold, time out. I didn't sign up for this. And we get bitter, and changes in our life will either make us bitter or better how, based on how we react to it your response to change that makes the difference. Change is coming. Are you prepared? Here's what God wants you to do with change. Last thing right at the bottom. He wants you to relish it. 
He wants you to embrace it. He wants you to be contented. When things aren't like they were 25 years ago, when things when they don't look, you don't look the same you did 25 years ago, and, and uh, he, God wants you to just go to another level in your love, and he'll take you there. He'll take, he doesn't expect you to get there on your own. He'll take you there. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, look what it says. Paul says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned, listen to this, I have learned how to get along happily whether I have much or little. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of contentment in every situation, whether it be a full stomach or hunger, plenty or want, for I can do everything God asks me to with the help of Christ who gives me the strength and the power. And so what God is saying to us there is, when change comes, take advantage of it. When change comes, make the most of it. When change comes, learn from it. Let it be an opportunity for growth. Learn this. Get a hold of this. You cannot escape change. We're changing. We're growing. The bottom line is God wants to use your marriage for his glory and for your growth. Part of maturity and part of a solid marriage is learning to grow together. The moment you stop growing is the moment you stop dying. You start dying now. So you have to grow. Keep on growing intellectually, mentally, sexually, spiritually, physically, emotionally, in every way. Embrace change. Not, again, that you don't do things to remain as strong as you can and all of that, but, but change is coming no matter what you do with that. Just learn to embrace that and see that as a good thing. And let's be ready for the rains of culture. Let's be ready for the floods of adversity that are going to come. And let's get ready for the rains of change. And how are we prepared for these things? Intimacy with our Lord. When you get away from God, you won't be able to handle these things. When you are mighty in Him, when you are walking the spiritual disciplines and you're mighty in the Lord, then you can handle these things. Okay? Father, thank you for your word today. We receive it. We believe it. Now, Lord, help us to follow through and do it that you might liken us to wise men and women. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody look at me.